0: Uh, here we go. Christmas is almost here. And you can feel the nerves, you know, especially if you look down your list and the number of days left on what you need to get. And that's just life. But we as a church decided to look this Christmas at gifts from a different angle. And if you're new, you can go to our YouTube channel. Everything from this series on, Romans 12 on, is already uploaded. So if you missed out on that. But what we're doing is we're looking at gifts from God's perspective. And Probably you're tired of hearing it, but I'll say it every single week. The Holy Spirit is the gift. What we're seeing in Romans 12 is that the reason we, are, we do stuff in Jesus' name, the reason we help one another, the reason we serve one another, is because God has given us, not only his son, but Jesus himself said, it's better if I go. It's way better if I go, which doesn't make sense. I'd rather have Jesus here. Because no, I'm not going to leave you without comfort. I'm going to send, the Father will send in my name, his own Holy Spirit. And the Spirit will be in you and with you, and you're going to have power. And he'll be a counselor, and he'll come alongside. And so what we're seeing is because the Spirit is the gift, and if you're following Jesus, you already have the Holy Spirit, it's impossible for you to say, I don't have anything to give. Because God is already in you, working through you. And what we're looking at every week are various expressions of the same gift. So let me just ask you this morning, have you found your fit? The reason that we're discussing gifts and giftedness is not to say like, wow, you're great at and you're great at. No, God is so good that he makes us different. And because you're uniquely fit, you can uniquely do what I can't do. So the goal is, as we look towards Christmas, we'll move into the new year ready to serve, ready to do what God's called us to do so that we'll grow and thrive. Not everyone looking at one stage, but everyone looking at each other and seeing God at work in and through us. Hopefully that happens in the coming year. We're, we're one body, but we have different parts. So let's read the same verses that we've been reading every week, and we'll look at one line. All right, here we go. Romans 12, 5 through 8. We'll read it again. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Jesus Christ we, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace that has been given to each of us. So if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. We already looked at that. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, and we looked at this last week, if it's giving, then give generously. And now we're gonna look at the next line. If it is to lead, do it, Diligently in the next week leading up to Christmas, and we'll pull in Christmas off this theme. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. If it's to lead, do it diligently. The gift of leadership. Paul's thinking not of one specific person in the church. Remember, he hasn't been to Rome yet, but he's heard the story of how Jesus' message has spread to Rome. A church is formed, he's on his way, he's going there, and he lays out what he's been sharing at every church. And what he teaches about Jesus, wherever he goes, one body, many parts, same Holy Spirit, working. So if your gift is leadership, do it diligently. This is not a mystery. Like some of them, prophecy took a lot of time because we don't think of the word prophecy. But leadership, what is it? What does this Bible word mean? It means to direct or manage. The gift of leadership is the gift of the ability to direct or manage things that God is doing. Now, that's super obvious, but look at where it fits in the list. This is intriguing. He saves it, and he says, the gift of giving, the gift of leadership, the gift of mercy. So people are are gifted by God to contribute in all sorts of ways. At the tail end, there are people who see need and are willing, in Jesus' name, to be merciful. And right in the middle, you have the gift of leadership. Some of us have a skewed because we've we've a view of leadership because of the models that we've seen, whether it was in the classroom, do this, don't do that, or at home, or in the workplace. And we bring that into our Jesus following. But let's try to clean the slate for a minute. All the gift of leadership is, is the ability to call the person with the gift of giving and the person with the gift of mercy and say, you have it, you want to give it, and bring them together. So the leader can put a vision in front of a group of people and inspire them to get there. That's all it is. And there are people in every business, in every home, in every church for sure, that just see things. They just see like, oh, well, they can, and what about, and they connect the dots. And that may be you. I may be, I may be speaking to you this morning. Well, I'm here to tell you there's a place for you in God's family. We need you to step in your place. So what's the call of the leader. They're, to, get, they're the, to guide or manage. What are they to do? Paul says, if you're called to do it, do it diligently. Now, di- diligently, the word here means an earnest commitment or or eagerness or zeal. So, if you're called to help guide people into their calling, and that's what a leader does. A leader doesn't do the work. They, they inspire people to join in and do the work together. If that's your call, the challenge is, it's easy to give up because the work can become great, and people can be slower than you would like. the The challenge with the gift of leadership is, you see it, and once you see it, I'm speaking from experience here. Once you see it, you see it as done, but like man, like we're not even halfway there yet, and it's annoying because you want it, you know what it's going to do, you know what it's going to accomplish, and so if that's your, if that's how you operate. That's a good thing. The the downside is because it doesn't happen as fast or the way exactly, you can get discouraged. And you can lose the zeal. And so the word to you is don't give up. Now, there are three dimensions of leadership I want us to see. When Paul's writing, he's not writing to CEOs, he's writing to church people. He's probably writing to a group that, you know, is meeting in homes, 20, 30 people. None of them are quote-unquote professional Christians. They haven't gotten seminary degrees, and they don't have buildings and titles. They they just heard the message of Jesus, and they're called to love one another. And so what is is he saying to not just Rome, but all of the churches? We're going to look at what Paul said and how he uses the word leadership in many of his letters, but three dimensions specifically for church, but you can apply it to almost any area of life. Uh, The first is this. Leadership is a privilege. Leadership, it's an, it's an honor. Now, when I say leader, you may be thinking, well, that's not me. If you are a parent or you have children or you have the care of people, grandkids or nieces and nephews, you are a leader. Those lives are in your care. If you have an infant that's crying every two hours saying, feed me, feed me, you are more than a feeder. You are a leader. That was a nice little line there. Wow. Thank you. Or uh, if you have a class of 30 students and you're an educator, you're a leader. You work at a coffee shop and you're a shift manager and there's two baristas uh, and you're to guide them. Leadership has all of these levels and in the church. But leadership isn't like, wow, I'm amazing, therefore I've been given this title. Leadership, when it comes to Jesus and his church, is simply a privilege. God, in his goodness, by the Spirit, calls some to serve and some to encourage and some to teach and some to lead. And if that's been God's working in your world, thank him for it. Now he writes to the church in Thessalonica about leadership, so we're going to go there. 1 Thessalonians 5. He doesn't say much in in Romans because he hasn't been there, but he knows this other church well. So 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and following, let's just look at some words on leadership and seeing it as a privilege. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you who, and then underline the phrase, care for you. The same word in Romans 12 used to uh, describe as leadership. Here is care for. Again, most words can have multiple meanings. And when we think of what a leader is in the church, it's someone who cares for. So acknowledge them who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. So, Leadership is a privilege because you've been given the ability and the call by God to care for other people. Uh, Leadership in, in the kingdom of Jesus is never about rank, and it's never about ladders, and it's never about prestige. If you look at Jesus, who's the greatest leader, it's about making yourself low for the good of others, which look at what we're about to celebrate. The very birth of Jesus is the ultimate beautiful picture of leadership God rules the universe and creates it, and he steps into it. Jesus, out of love for us, to care for us, becomes one of us. And so God is with us. That's leadership. Jesus doesn't come and doesn't point the finger. And by the way, he doesn't take the throne over Rome, who's leading all of Israel and Jerusalem. He humbles himself and spends time in people's homes and he finds the leper and the lame and the hurting and the poor and the disenfranchised and the losers of his day. And he says, you are blessed. God is with you. That is what a great leader tries to do. Verse 13, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Their work is important. And so it's kind of strange because I am one of the leaders here. But we want to talk about how to, how to love one another. We love those who've been called to lead. Why? Because of their work. What's their work? Look at the next line. Live in peace with each other. So God's desire is that we live in peace. Here's the problem with church. We're human. So you get a bunch of humans who are absolutely convinced that they're already okay and going in the right direction. Put them together and say, peace be with you. It's just hard. So the job of leadership isn't to do stuff for people. It's to call people to their giftedness, care for them, help them, and then step in and be a person of peace. Now, you want to know what a leader is called to do? Keep reading. Verse 14. We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Now, anyone could do this. He's writing to the whole church. But you think about what a leader does. They sometimes need to warn those who aren't doing anything or talking smack. Too little or too much. A leader steps in and says, man, it's time for you to rise up or calm down. And we said, stop. Now really stop. Encourage the disheartened. It, I'd like to say that you all came in equally motivated and encouraged to follow Jesus. But life happened all week long. And some of you are like, man, I'm I'm barely making it. Leaders can be used by God. Uh, everyone can be used by God, but leaders to encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. That's super hard, especially when you actually know people, right? I mean, theoretically, be patient with people. That, that sounds good, until you work with them, and you live with them, and you know them, and you, and you see repetitive things that are in your mind not right, not helpful, not good, and they'll do it anyway. And I have to say, as, as a pastor and one of the elders here, that's one of the most uh, discouraging but real things of church, is, is people, even if they want to hear what's true and you share what's true and you encourage and you try to support your network and you build and to watch them continue to do what is not helpful in their own world, not realizing the cliff and not realizing the results, it's discouraging, but it doesn't have to be. But we need leaders to bring peace. Make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong. Doesn't that sound like parenting? of multiple kids, right? Stop it, stop it, stop it. You can't do that just because they did that to you, right? That's, that's what shepherding is. Always strive to do what's good for each other and for everyone else. Now, again, this is for everybody, but leadership in the church often hits warning, encouraging, helping, peacemaking, and, and it requires great patience. And so if you have children, you know how hard leadership can be. Again, we think leaders, the manager, the boss, the CEO. But anyone with someone under them is a leader. And so God maybe is giving you uh, what you think is a small network of influence. But let me tell you, what you're doing matters. And in the church, you may feel like your part is small, but God puts between the giver and the merciful one people who help direct and manage, encourage, care for. And you might be one of those people. By the way, when we're doing this every week, the expectation isn't that every week you go, man, that's me, man, that's me, man, that's me. Maybe one of these will resonate, maybe two. If they do, what we want you to do in the coming weeks and in, these, in the coming months and coming year is find out a way to live that out here. And, and it may be leading. Now, people by nature want to lead themselves, and that's what makes the role hard. But remember, if it's your calling, it's a privilege. And and let me just illustrate, because there's lots of examples of this. Uh, Brandon is our, our, our pastor of worship, and he oversees our operations. And most of you don't know how much he does for your good. He's, I think, an example of a great leader. He cares for his whole team. He's the first one here. He's the last one gone. He's concerned about everyone's life, not just what they do. He oversees music. Now, the fun part about that is no one has an opinion. No one has an opinion about music. And so no one is ever concerned if it's too loud or if it's too soft. No one's concerned about taking that song and why did you mess it up by like changing the arrangement? Like no one has an opinion, so his job is very easy. Mine is hard, (laughs) not really. I mean, a few of you get mad at me, but I think in church, because we all have what they call a musical style, and it goes with you wherever you go. And we bring that in, and suddenly it's like churches are more divisive, over music than what the Bible actually teaches, which is weird. you think you'd have an honest argument about someone saying differently about what the Bible says, but it's usually style. We call him the pastor of vibes, which is a great. Like one day I'll grow up and be a pastor of vibes. But, but, but he tries to create an environment and lead an environment so that you, when you come, no matter what's going on in your world, The distractions are gone, and you can focus on Jesus. And you don't realize maybe how much goes into making that happen, even from color scheme and design and look and feel, but more importantly, praying over songs. You think these songs just happen. Praying and thinking about the verses we're going to talk about, what music, what response song is going to fit where God is leading us in truth. All of these things go under his leadership. He's not the only leader, but he's, I think, a good example of care. So you may just see a part singing and playing and forgetting that actually God's led him to guide probably 80-plus people in our church and love them and serve them. And, and that he sees it as a privilege. Because remember, leadership is simply caring and giving aid to those who need it. It's not about lording it or, or looking down. It's about how can I, because of my position, build you up. That's what good leaders do. Now, you think, like, well, I'll never do that because I'm just, you know, I'm just me. You got to remember, when he writes to this church in Thessalonica, they're meeting in churches, and, and history shows the largest, most affluent houses could maybe fit 40 to 50 people. So church for them was probably 15 people in a house, 10. And he talks about these gifts of leadership over 10, 20. So leadership is not just about the big, it's about the intimate. That's why I'm so thrilled. And I want to say to you, if you're one of them, we have 57 leaders, 57 right now that are serving as leaders over our what we call 26 West communities. And some of them are leaders and some of them are coaches and our coaches are are there to care for and help and shepherd those who are leading groups. We have 57 people who have risen up who said, I, I, give me 10, give me and those who are reproducing at a high rate, 25, 30. Like, you know, whether they my kids or just they invite everyone, invite everyone, invite everyone. You know if you're in that group, you don't even know the people in your group, right? You, you know who you are. We have 57. who've So when we think of leadership in the church, those 57 are here. You don't know them. And they come in just like you do and have coffee and hang out. But they are your leaders. God's put them here. And we want to honor them and respect them and see how God can work through them. I think of um, Peter and Jessica Myers. They're just two of our community leaders. And they were leading a group and they ended up moving to Forest Grove. And the first thing that they said was, we're going to live by Pacific. And uh, at our first gathering here, we had a whole front two rows of Pacific students. It's like, we want them in our home. So we started to plan how to connect because we have some network with Fellowship of Christian Athletes there. And so, but before we could even like connect them, they just jumped in and went to the FCA meeting and got to know everyone and invited invited them in their home. And so for them, leadership was God physically moved us to a new place. We want it to be for other young people. That's a... We thank God for that kind of leadership. Uh, Ryan, who was just sharing before I got up, and he oversees all of our communities, he was telling me a couple called them on their date night. Now, I'm not saying that you should do this, but this is what they did. They called on their date night because they were thinking about someone in their group who was having a really tough time and they didn't know what to do. Out of love, on their date night, this couple is calling Ryan because they're like, how can we best help them? we can't help but think about them that's the see see leadership doesn't end when the meeting ends it's about people it's about love it's about jesus and i'm just i'm giddy to say we have like tons of people like that here and we should rejoice you should rejoice that you have people that are not perfect but want to live pleasing to jesus and want you to grow and care about you and so, thank God for him. First thing, leadership is a privilege. Second thing, write it down, leadership is responsibility. That's the, it's a privilege, it's a calling, right? But it's also a responsibility. And so, what we see in Paul, he doesn't say, again, much in, in Romans, but he tells the church in Thessalonica about leadership, and then he writes these letters. Thank God for the Bible and the way it's written. Because if you ever wondered what should leaders look like and how do leaders develop younger people to rise up, you actually see it in the Bible the way it's written. Paul, and I don't even know if Paul knew it at the time. I mean, I don't know how God works. But he writes letters to a young guy that he helped raise up who traveled with him, Timothy, who was a young pastor, a shepherd, and he was having a struggle, a bunch of struggles, and he wrote him letters to encourage him. God in his wisdom puts it in the Bible so that for all time we would know how we can raise other people up and encourage them, especially when they're young. So i want to read 1 Timothy 3. And, and in this letter, Paul writes about elders in the church. If you're new to church or Jesus, in American culture, you know, people say, oh, the, the pastor of my church is the leader of my church. And it's not a misnomer. It's not wrong. But in the Bible, you actually see that elders is the highest office, the highest level of leadership in a local church. That's why Paul addresses most of his letters to the elders and deacons at. Um, And it comes out of the Jewish tradition that there were elders in the synagogue. And so it's been a part of how God's people have, have lived forever. But elders are those who've been given the responsibility to oversee care, oversee growth, oversee giftedness, that you will find your gift and use it, and correct bad teaching. Because we all come from different places. We all come from different backgrounds. And some people's opinions about Jesus or the Bible, they may be good intended. They're just wrong. And so what elders are there to do is not lord, not tell you what to do, but they're there for your care like a shepherd with sheep. The shepherd is there to make sure that the sheep thrive, that they eat, that they're protected, that the wolves are kept away, and that they will grow and flourish and eventually become dinner. But that's another story for another day, sorry. Um, but elders are there to see you grow. So leadership is a responsibility. Look at the list of what an elder looks like, and it could be applied to characteristics of all kinds of leaders. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer, that word is synonymous with elder, desires a noble task. Now, the overseer or elder is to be, and then he lists these things out, above reproach. Faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, in other words live out the principles of leadership in his own house, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. In other words, people may have a different opinion about him, but when they look at their home life and their personal life, they're like... Okay, they're consistent. And then in parentheses, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Implication is if you have a family, you're a leader. And you're given by God the responsibility to care for the people in your family. Well, that is a microcosm of the bigger story of God. God has a family. Guess what? If you follow Jesus, you're in. Like you're related. We are, it's, it's, it's a hard concept to actually get but you and i are really related not just in seat rows or even you know in our orange pop color so we're all like that this is our team or or this building we're related in that we're going to live with god forever like forever ever with god together so if that's true until that reality becomes fully real to us until until Jesus returns and makes all things new and we live in a life that's fully and truly life forever, how do we do it now? God gives us a body with multiple parts and gifts. Jesus is every gift. So Jesus has the gift of serving, and Jesus has the gift of teaching, and Jesus has the gift of encouragement, and Jesus has the gift of prophecy. But he doesn't give all the gifts to an individual because he knows we're egomaniacs. So he spreads the wealth. And says, okay, gift of leadership is to pull people together and make sure that they move forward. Now, if you look at the characteristics carefully, it's not about skill. The only skill on that list is able to teach. Which simply means that an elder in a church needs to know what good teaching is, know the Bible, so that when someone comes in and says something that's out of line, they could say, well, I don't like that. No, that's not helpful. Rather, that is not true and here's why this is what scripture says this is what the the tradition of god that's been given to us for 2000 years and what you're saying as nice as it sounds you can't say that here because that's not true and that's not going to build people up in the faith and so elders have that responsibility but the rest is character so leadership is actually not just a calling and a privilege but it's a responsibility To grow in character. It doesn't mean that leaders are perfect. But what you see in the list is the kind of people that are called to lead in the church are those whose character, hear this, has been shaped by Jesus. Not like they're nice people. It's helpful if an elder's nice. But what you actually need is Jesus formed in them. Why? Paul had that. He could pass that on to Timothy. Timothy could see good character, Jesus likeness, because he just looked at Paul. And so leadership in the church is about modeling and about growing in Jesus. Now, some of you say, well, man, I'll never get there. Wait, you already are getting there. You're just so involved in it, you don't see it. The problem with growth is it's just like anything. If you see someone's child, they come here, and they don't come here for a year. You go like, wow, what happened? That little baby is like 85 pounds now and huge and dunking hoops and like, what happened? It doesn't happen in a year. But, you know, but you get, you get that mom like, oh, really? Because they're there every day and every minute. And when progress is slow, you don't really see it, right? In the same way, you are growing probably more than you think. But you're so involved in it and you see your shortcomings that you may not see it. So the leader's role is to encourage you like you actually are growing. Keep growing. Keep going. You can. You can. And and here's how. And leaders need to be faithful, according to elders, need to be faithful in their personal walk with Jesus. Not a lover of money. Not a drunkard. Not someone who's berating people, filled with anger and rage. Doesn't mean they don't get angry, but that's not, that's not how they operate. And faithful to their family, husband of but one wife, uh, not sleeping around, faithful at home. At the same token, faithful in the community, above reproach. When people say their name in public, and it's like, mm, shady. Or I don't know, watch out for that guy. If, if you have an elder in the church that you wouldn't be comfortable having as a partner in your business, that's a problem. Now, maybe they don't have the skill, but I'm saying by character. If you're like, I'm not willing to trust you with partnership and resources. So elders have to have that character about them. But really, isn't that what leadership is about anyway? It's about all of us growing in character and then, yes, growing in skill, able to teach. Now, there's two things we could do with leadership that are both going to be unhelpful, all right? Let's do the extremes and try to make it in the middle. One is hold leaders too highly. Haven't we all been in a situation where, like, this is my favorite whatever. Whether it's even athlete or whether it's, whether it's actor or whether it's someone that you respect in your field of work or, or, or relative. And like, wow, they're amazing, they're amazing. And then you find out something about them and the balloon gets popped. And suddenly, like, you're crushed. What's worse is you could have someone that you highly respect in terms of church that you believe in and their teaching goes off and you follow them in the offness. So we got to be careful to not hold leaders too highly and say, well, well, the, well my pastor said it, to which I said you. Check everything that I say with the word of God, and if it doesn't line up, call me out. Let's meet. Let's talk. Maybe you haven't understood it. Maybe I haven't understood it. Let's work it out, but don't blindly follow leadership. That's unhealthy. But the other extreme is what I think most of us in our culture because we're a culture of flatness in that the intro employee who just got hired feels like they have the right to hang out with the CEO. Because why? Because I'm awesome, right? And I'm, I'm as important as this organization as anyone else. I think in our culture, the, the challenge is thinking too lowly of our leaders and actually disrespecting. And in the church, what, what Paul is saying and what God is saying to us really is that we need to respect those who have been given authority over anything and honor them because of the work that they do, and in that we'll all thrive. So those are the extremes. Here's a beautiful balance. Hebrews 13, 17. It, It pulls it together beautifully. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Submit. Best word for an American ever. We just love it. Right? We love submitting. We love rules. We, we love being guided. We love, yeah, okay, we, yeah, we don't. Do this. Oh, I'm sorry, go back. Uh, have confidence in your leaders and sympathy to their authority because they watch over you, catch this phrase, as those who must give an account. So even leaders in the church, there is no supreme leader other than Jesus. And Jesus is going to hold every level of leadership in account for what God had given them. So you just need to know this. When decisions are made as a church, we have an elder team. In scripture, you never see one elder. You see the elders, it's always plural, in the local church. The group of leaders, we come together. When a decision is made, you just need to know that it has been thought through, prayed over, evaluated, tested in our own souls. And sometimes the decision is going to be wrong. Why? Because we're human. And we, we don't get it, always get it right. But when a decision has been made, you, you need to know if this is your home church, you can have confidence that it wasn't flippant. And so have confidence in your leaders and submit simply means to come under the guidance and care of. So let me ask you a loaded question. Should you submit to Jesus? <laughs> yes. Okay, so if Jesus has given his very spirit to people to care over you. So that's why in Ephesians, Paul will say, kids, respect your parents. Husbands deal well with your wives. And then the tail end, why? The picture of marriage and relationship is about Jesus and his church. Family structure on a human level is a microcosm of what God's saying on the bigger level. We're all under layers of authority. So even though I'm an adult and married and have my own kids, I still honor and respect my parents as my parents. Doesn't mean I always do what they say but it means that I honor them and respect them as God's gift in my life. In the same way, in the church, we will do well. Now, I know this sounds crazy because I'm one of the leaders saying we should submit, which totally sounds loaded. I get it. Hear my heart, though. I have to give an account, and we say it often when we meet as elders. We are going to give an account before Jesus. Is this the way we should go? And then with humility and faith we step out and we're not afraid to we're not afraid to move we act in humility and in faith in the same way we need to lead each other with that kind of balance if we have leaders who are godly but resistant people you have tension in the church when you have leaders that look down and lord it over and make everyone feel like they need to submit to everything just cuz I'm the leader and I'm right you have heresy in the making and you have unhealthy relationship, and none of those are going to thrive. But we can, and we are a people that respect one another. Here's why. Here's what we have, because if you're new, you need to know this. We have 84 leaders in our kids and youth teams, 84. You think, wow, like how many kids do you have? See, when I say leader, some of you are thinking the leader. Get that out of your brain for a second. There is the leader, Jesus. Right, But under that, in our kids and youth, we have middle schoolers who are leaders in this church because some of them right now, one of them, my daughter included, is caring for the little ones. Now, my daughter is under another leader who's under another leader who's under another leader. We have 84 men and women, young and old, who are serving. We ought to rejoice. 80 serve in our gatherings in a month. 80 unique individuals make this happen from coffee and communion and donuts. We don't make them, but we buy them. You know, we, we set up, tear down, music, production, all of that. 57 leading our communities and coaches. We have deacons, we have elders, and we have staff that are paid to help lead and guide all of our servants in our church. We are blessed with many, many of you who are leaders. And if you're one of those in there, thank you. Thank you. you may not see, you say, oh, I'm just doing this. I'm just doing that. Uh, no, you're not just doing this. You've been authorized by Jesus to, by the Spirit, help people, care for them, love them, even by cleaning up. And we ought to see this as a high honor, and we ought to respect each other. We live in a healthy environment. And I know we're not perfect, but unless I'm blind and deaf and dumb, I think we're in a great state as a church. I don't hear a lot of backbiting. I don't hear a lot of backstabbing. You know, church politics, you ever hear that as a phrase? Here's the bad part. You've heard it right? About this this move and that move. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying we're perfect, but I'm saying we are in such a good spot, and I think it's just because we love Jesus, and we're trying to follow him. So my word to you is step in, because to be a leader, you don't have to stand on a stage. You don't need a microphone. You just need Jesus to Work through you. So, leadership is a privilege. Leadership is a responsibility. Third one, and we're done. Leadership is rewarding. So far, it's like, man, I don't know if I want to lead because, you know, I got to have character that's molded by Jesus. And none of us are there. We're working towards it, right? But there's great reward. That's why Paul says to Timothy, whoever aspires to be an overseer or wants to be an elder desires a noble task, it's a high calling. And if you feel like God's stirring you to lead in some area, that's a good thing. And here's the blessing, and I could say it from experience. You get a lot, I hope, from being part of this church. I I hope you do, honestly. But I could tell you, our elders get more. Not more like from God, like he loves us more. Not, not, Not materially more. But when you see people come alive to Jesus and you know that you've just been a part of it... When you hear more stories of God at work, when you see more things happening, there's reward and there is work, sure, but there's great reward. 1 Peter 5 gives us some insight into that. Peter, who's a great leader, who's, who's the head of the church. I mean, as, as the church is established, he's the first of many leaders that Jesus chooses to use in building out his kingdom work. Be shepherds, he writes this to the elders. I get that. But look, look at the tone to the elders, he says, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. That's leadership is a privilege. Don't forget, like, be shepherds because God's given you the ability. Not pursuing dishonest gain but eager to serve, not lording over those who entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. Examples, that's responsibility. But then the reward, look. And when the chief shepherd appears, Jesus, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In their day, their, the Roman games, you were given a wreath, a crown. You, If you've gone to the Olympics, you've seen the whole concept. Is that of all the athletes, those who performed the best, were brought before the whole crowd. And everyone just cheers in applause for the supreme athlete, the great athlete, and they give you a wreath, and today they give you a trophy, they give you a medal, they give you a, a small check that you got to pay taxes on anyway, and and all that you get when you like achieve, and here's what here's what Peter says to so those of you given the task of leadership, Jesus is rewarding, and Jesus is going to be the one to say to you, well done, good faithful servant, come and enter into your master's reward and blessing, like. When you choose to follow Jesus, I'm talking about when you serve in your spot, when you do your thing, when you rise up and say, you know what? I'm not just going to live for me. I want to care for the good of others, which leadership in the kingdom is just about service. It's about loving people, caring for them, and in that, doing your part, being responsible. When you do that, when Jesus appears, there will be the full unveiling of reward. I don't have time to get into it this morning, but I think... As I read the Bible, and I could be totally off, in the new heavens and new earth, when God makes everything new, A, we don't get harps, we're not floating on clouds, we're on the earth, it's made again into the way God intended from the beginning, no sin, and hear this, we are working. And those who seem insignificant are gonna be given great leadership. Because the chief shepherd knows all the sheep, and he knows what you're doing, and he knows those serving and leading in obscurity. And they didn't get the accolades. And they didn't have a YouTube channel and all that. But they were faithful. And if you're one of those, man or woman, young or old, you can say, I get to walk in the Father's reward. By the way, the reward is more work. <laughs> it's not like a Mercedes or anything. It's, it's just it's more opportunity to care for and serve. No disrespect if you drive a Mercedes. All right. All of you. Uh, so he says, first, first Peter five. Let me get this. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. So we've talked about the leader. Now let's talk about the person being led. How do we respond to the people? And by the way, I am a leader, but I am being led. So the only chief is Jesus. How do I respond? In the same way, those who are younger, submit yourself to the elders. I'm one of them. I'm the youngest of them, and I greatly respect the other elders in this church who are older than me and wiser than me and have been put as God's blessing in my world. I'll give you a little secret. Left to myself, I will self-destruct. And that's not a secret. By the way, that's you. That's all of us. I need godly men and women in my life to shape me. And so those that are younger, submit yourself to the elders. Uh, submit is given a bad word, but it's a beautiful word because it means come under the care of others. All of you, yourself included, clothe yourselves with humility towards each other towards each other, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Hear this. What can you do right now? What can I do right now whether you have the gift of leadership or not? We can choose to live humbly if God's put people over you in your care, listen to them and don't live proud. Are they always right? No. But they may be right. And even if you don't think they're fully right, you've been put under their care. Treat them with love and respect and reverence, out of reverence for Jesus, who's the great shepherd. Live under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And if you want to be a leader in, in Jesus' work, it's no secret Make yourself low, follow Jesus humbly, and at the right time, God will see it, and he'll raise you up. I get nervous because I was one of them as a kid, and I look back, and I realize, yeah, that was just definite pride. When you hear someone say, let me tell you, here's what I'm given to do, here's what I'm called to do, here's what I want to do, I'm ready, give me my spot, give me my spot. If, if that's you, I'll, I'll, I'll lay it out. In our church, what we'll say is serve for a year. Not in the area you, you want to. If you want to be a musician, you know what Brandon's word. to musicians are? Serve for a year in something else. <laughs> well, I, but I, I can play this. I can do this. Great. Love the kids. Set up tear down. And if you and I live humbly, then at the right time, God will expose our heart as right and he will lift us up. Finally, because any talk about leadership can make us anxious. I love verse seven. We're going to end with this. Cast all your anxiety on Jesus because he cares for you. This is so good. Leaders get it right. Leaders get it wrong. Followers get it right. Followers get it wrong. And if you're wondering, what do I do? When do I do it? Maybe I've got a spot. I don't know. If you're afraid of messing it up, which is all of us, right? I don't want to mess this up. Do you? (laughs) Cast those anxieties on Jesus. He cares for you. He's the great shepherd, he loves you, he loves me, he loves all of us. And if we'll humble ourselves before him, let me tell you friends, sky's the limit on what God will do in and through us. And I think we're on the verge of something beautiful as a church, the whole announcement about YouTube and video. In January, I'll talk more about it, but the reason we're talking about leadership now is because the Bible talks about it. It's right there, Romans 12. But more than that, we wanna set ourselves up. There's so much more vision. There's so many more things we're called to. There's so many things that God has put on our heart as a leadership team that like, that's scary. Because it costs a lot in cash and in people and in effort. and But if, none of it's for us. It's all for other people, right? But we feel like God's calling us now that this season that we're in as a church where we got some grounding, some history. Now's the time to really go forward. But you know what it's going to take? Humility. Leaders being humble enough to step up and do their part And then the rest of us saying, okay, I believe you. Let's go together. And and this morning, if you're feeling anxious, just know this: Jesus cares for you. If you don't know what to do, guess what? Jesus does. So what we want to do is now turn our attention back to him. He raises people up to serve, to have mercy, to prophesy, to teach, to encourage, to give. But more than anything, he raises people up to follow him. So if you're a Jesus follower this morning, there's good news for you. He's got something. What is it? I don't know cast your anxiety on him, he cares for you. Why don't we stand to our feet and now let's do that. What does it mean to cast my anxiety on him? It means to give him my concern because I know he's concerned about me. So as an act of worship, let's sing songs that are in Jesus' name and let's, let's call on him. If you're struggling with an area, as we worship, here's what I do. I sometimes sing the words, but sometimes I just tell God what's going on. Right? I just sing out like, God, here's where I'm at. Whatever the case is, cast those things on Jesus because he loves you. Lord, thank you that you love us enough not only to come and be born and walk and live and die and rise again and promise to return, but you're here by the Holy Spirit and you're able to care for our concerns. So, Lord, your people have come with all sorts of stuff and they need all sorts of things. Right now we turn to you. You're the author. You're the perfecter of our faith. You're the provider. You're the great shepherd. Care for us, even as we sing, as we worship your name, the things that are our concern, will you care for them, Lord Jesus, in your name?